Hey, Praxis. Theory here. That's a specifically nerdy joke. Today we're doing something slightly different. Uh, usually I have one concept and one case which sort of summarizes the best of it. Which is kind of the format that we followed with this episode as well. But unfortunately, corporate criminal liability is a very, very, very wide topic. And there is no single case on the jurisprudence of this concept, which is why I took the road of making it interesting and sort of discussing exceptions and making this episode as fun as it can be to understand corporate criminal liability itself in context of uh, Sunil Mittal versus CBI. For those of you who are more familiar with the concept of corporate criminal liability, you would have noticed that the amount of time dedicated to explaining it is not nearly enough, which is why I go into this episode expecting that this is just an introduction to what is corporate criminal liability. You will be able to define it after this for sure, give examples even, but because it is so conceptually heavy, it can be dense. So I will ask for more than usual amounts of uh, attention from my audience. Which is a weird thing to say. You already clicked on the episode. Why am I asking for more attention? Anyway, with that, I will hold the class now in session. I truly and honestly did try to start this episode on a non-obtuse angle. As in, we start directly from what is referred in the title and talk about just the title like we did in the last episode. Direct episodes create more retention. Or so I am led to believe by some of the people who listen to the podcast. By some, I mean whoever. There's like, what, 50 of you. (laughs) But as I may have already mentioned in the intro, it is difficult to talk about corporate criminal liability in direct terms, especially when you're talking to people who might not be exposed to law. And because it is such a vague concept and so easy to confuse, I thought it would be easier to start with the primary questions that lead to corporate criminal litigation jurisprudence, which is basically how we determine the criminal liability of a corporation. And in the case where more than just money as punitive damages needs to be taken from the corporates, what is to be done? And for those reasons we need to ask things like whose line is it anyway i know it would be funnier if i said whose responsibility is it anyway but that's not an actual show so just understand in silence basically whose responsibility of it if something goes wrong who's supposed to pay and things like that those questions are asked and answered by a concept in law called vicarious liability Those of you who work jobs, which must be some of you at least, others are students, I assume, you would be familiar with what is vicarious liability because your employment contracts would come with those phrases. And the second question we need to ask is, what is a person for legal reasons? I have decided to tackle the second question first because it's a small tangent. It's not a tangent that we need to explore on more. Whereas vicarious liability is what we will be building upon in this particular episode. 
and it's a confusingly simple question that has a deceptively difficult answer for example i don't know how many of you remember but in 2017 the uttarakhand high court declared that the river ganga and yamuna are living entities the case of course was mohammed salim versus state of uttarakhand and others and it was a public interest litigation regarding the levels of pollution that the rivers ganga and yamuna were facing and since they are drinking water sources and also holy religious concepts in hinduism along with geo- geographical and religious customs based around these rivers hence the pil was filed with the concerns of how much pollution was being allowed and what kind of transparency was being shown to the people in terms of how much pollution is being done the court in that order granted partial personhood to these rivers due to their customary status in the culture which is an actual source of law if you've read your uh, marriage laws for example it's completely based in custom the reason we have four different acts to govern marriage by religion is because custom and religion and text is an actual source for law but sometimes the reasons to show this personhood to artificial personhood for things that are not people are for much more immediate logistical conveniences for example companies all companies are people in the eyes of the law the reasons for that are varied some of them are simple some of them are slightly tangential and annoying to understand they're not difficult to understand but largely this legal position stands to insulate people who want to take commercial adventures or financial risks to affect their personal property almost all law students listening to this podcast would know where this personhood comes from it's a case from 1987 in the uk which sort of settles down this position all across the world it's a very famous story called salomon versus salomon and co the case itself is a bare books example of why companies were given artificial legal personhood and the story goes like this salomon was a shoe salesman who was operating his business as a sole proprietorship which he soon turned into a company with his family members as members of the board the reason mr salomon did this that is turned from a proprietorship to a company is because once he became a company he can attract investors it's an entity by itself it's not a project that is owned by mr salomon it's a project started by mr salomon hence investors can now put in money and that fund runs the business mr salomon just happens to be the operating brain behind it however mr salomon's business has to close its doors because of heavy losses and the investors lose a lot of their money the reason they end up in court is because salomon and co and the investors go to the court and tell them that mr salomon was the head of the company he's the one who's brought us to the losses and he must personally reimburse each and every investor for the losses that they have suffered through salomon and co as a shoe selling selling company the court hears all of this and tells the investors along with everyone in the room and us eventually because we're following the same principle 
that when Mr. Salomon's business, Salomon and Co. lost money, it was a separate company. It had a pool of resources that it needed to sustain itself. And the losses incurred by the business have not been done illegally. Mr. Salomon has made an investment and his labor has failed. And since that's not a crime, we can't really hold him liable for everyone to be paid through his pocket. Everyone gets what's remaining of the company and that's the end of it. Hence, this principle in company law exists, which is called the corporate veil, the veil between the person and the business, which is why when somebody says a business is worth something and I own a percentage of that, their liability to that business is only limited to that much of the percentage of that business's value. Now that we've dealt with personhood, we must deal with vicarious liability, which eventually will lead us to where we're going today. In principle, vicarious liability is simple. It is to accommodate for the fact that every time a crime happens or something that is frowned upon happens, the person doing the thing immediately is not the only person responsible. Not to mention the way employment and autonomy works in our society. Power also has a lot to do with it. For example, an employee whose jobs is to press buttons all day so that a crane can go up and down needs to wait for the signal of someone who is given the responsibility of making sure that no one gets harmed while that crane goes up or down. There are safety measures in place which the government mandates, for example. And somebody's job is that compliance must be met with them. Now, the fact that there is no mechanism or there is no employment of the person who is to be held responsible to make sure that nobody's getting harmed when a crane goes up or down is not the same person's job who presses the button because we live in a hyper-specialized economy of labor. Hence, vicarious liability answers the question, whose responsibility is it to put the button in place to make sure that everyone knows their responsibilities and that they have all the tools and infrastructure to make sure that they can follow their responsibilities. The responsibility falls upon the employer or in the case of a company, either the safety team or the management. And since we opened the door on case laws that are not from India and also are the tortious origin of a principle in law that we all follow, I believe Hearn versus Nichols, the 1700 case in Britain, also records one of the first or one of the earliest examples of recognition of vicarious liability. Of course, the language of the case itself is archaic because this is a time where serfdom exists, more prominently slavery exists, which is why the judge is compelled to say that the master is not only liable for acts done in his express command, but also for those done by his implied commands. Now, this applies to civil cases unanimously. For those of you who do not know, civil cases are essentially things where criminal liability is not involved, which means that the state doesn't need to imprison anybody or 
use its authority to a degree where it is the party within a case these are disputes between two citizens even when the state is a party it's not a prosecutor it is a civil party it is an interested party within the case so in civil cases vicarious liability essentially says that if express command is provided that will cause harm to somebody or harm is caused by the employee due to lack of infrastructure or proper commands by the employer then in that case the employer is liable for the employee's act it's a very simple expansion of agency principle which i think i have over explained at this point but it's essential to do so because the next question of course becomes that what happens in criminal cases what happens in cases where the state believes that the act done by an employee on the command of the employer is so heinous that they themselves must start a prosecution and jail somebody for this and potentially it could be the employer an example of vicarious liability in this context in the criminal law is section 154 to 156 of the indian penal code these sections that is section 154 155 and 156 one after the other sort of cover liabilities of crime attributed to people who own property on which illegal activities being done for example if you are the owner or, or occupier of the land and an unlawful assembly is being created on your land the law presumes that you had the control to stop this unlawful assembly from happening or to inform the proper authorities when it did similarly any other illegal activity that might happen through your agent or is tolerated by your agent or manager while there is an unlawful activity on your property for example for those of you who have watched breaking bad anybody in conscious possession of a property enabling somebody else to either distribute or create drugs within a house as a tenant or as the owner of the house will be held liable other examples of this which are slightly similar are section 268 and section 269 of the indian penal code which relate to public nuisance and it makes the master criminally liable for the nuisance their employees create in the conductance of the activities that the employer has told them to do and now in the pyramid of our legal concepts the next layer to explore comes to be what happens when an employee of a corporation conducts himself in a way that is a crime in the interest of the corporation we have just discussed that corporations are artificial persons and when it comes to labeling somebody as the employee for a person who works in a company would be the company because they're the legal person and any legal dispute that would happen within that relationship or because of that relationship the company would be treated as an artificial person of course the go to solution is that a punitive fine which is a fine that is imposed on the company as a punishment is put on for any illegal conduct that they told their employee to do but even fines run out of legal juice in terms of 
what crimes can you impose fines for and what crimes somebody needs to go to jail for for example if you commit a murder and you of course have to hold the employee himself responsible because they consciously violated the law but if the employer is a company and you just have to give them a fine then in that case you're just making murder very expensive and essentially a rationalizable decision that could be thought about monetarily which is why we come up with the necessity to find articulation upon corporate criminal liability i know the last 15 minutes could have felt like i'm stalling but i genuinely am not i do think this legal vocabulary is important to understand this concept and i'm trying to take it slower and i am going to just do a small recap before we enter into the cases that talk about corporate criminal liability and sort of understand the concept of criminal liability as well because i know some of you are washing dishes others are folding clothes the rest of you are trying to sleep and there's a good chance that you like got a text and just missed a sentence hence i'm just going to do a small recap the first thing that we need to know is that for legal convenience personhood can be attributed to things that are not persons biologically or conceptually for that matter i mean they are conceptually persons that's the entire point of calling them a legal concept of a person they are not biologically people or not the conventional understanding of what a person is uh for example ganga has been given the status of a person in this country for those of you who keep up with the news the hippopotamus from pablo escobar's personal collections have also been given personhood even though they're creating an ecological imbalance which is unseen and really 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 anthropological and weird to explain to most people second thing that we need to know is that one of the things that benefits the most from artificial personhood is a company and the reason for that is because you need to create a veil a sort of barrier between what is a person and what is a business this is done so that people can take financial risks without putting their personal assets on the line all the time or being held responsible for everything that their business does after that we need to understand the concept of vicarious liability which essentially means that if somebody is telling you to do something and it is a power dynamic that is recognized in society for example an employer and employee or an individual contractor and an owner who is employing them in those cases liability can be affixed on the employer for the actions of the employee and there are cases where a criminal act is done by an employee in the pursuance of a corporation's intent interest and or command now in these cases of course the question still remains can a corporation can be held liable criminally because they're not a real person they're an artificial person to that there is a supreme court citation that you can give in the sense that of course a company can be held liable and punished for criminal offenses the case is standard chartered bank versus directorate of enforcement the case itself consisted of standard chartered bank first going to the high court and then eventually filing a special leave petition under 
Article 136 of the Indian Constitution in the Supreme Court. This petition was aimed at knocking down some provisions of the Foreign Exchange Regulations Act under which a notice was served to Standard Chartered Bank for violation of some crime. In this case, like multiple other cases where companies has been held liable for criminal penalties to be imposed upon them for violation of law, we've solidified the position that companies can be held criminally liable. As far as recognizing mens rea, which basically is the Latin way of saying intent, it is, however, a larger concept than just intent. In English, it means mental preparation. I don't have the time to quote the entire textbook on mens rea. All I need you to understand, it means conscious intent. In this context that we're understanding in, it's a larger concept than that. Please do not forget this very vital piece of information. There is a case that very well recognizes that corporations are very well capable of possessing mens rea or intent in the sense that people who are using the corporation's insulation to do crime are capable of using mens rea. And the case is Iridium India Telecom Limited versus Motorola Inc. The case was a civil liability in which Iridium had claimed that Motorola has committed frauds that have cost the company something around 1000 crores worth of uh, profits. In subsequent proceedings, it was clarified that the court very well understands that no immunity can be given to companies from criminal prosecution on the ground that they do not possess mens rea. But there is a catch. Even in cases where corporate criminal liability is very much applicable, the presumption of vicarious liability has been strongly and heavily discouraged from crime to crime. And it is further specified in Sunil Bharti Mittal versus the Central Bureau of Investigation in 2015 that vicarious liability cannot be presumed for criminal prosecution unless there is a provision in law that specifically states that vicarious liability is applicable. For those of you who are wondering why are we suddenly talking about a 2015 case in the Supreme Court called Sunil Bharti Mittal versus uh, Central Bureau of Investigation, it's because it is now the landmark judgment when it comes to corporate criminal liability in the country. The case was regarding the prosecution of Mr. Sunil Bharti Mittal, who is the founder of Bharti Airtel and regarding his prosecution in the very well-known 2G Spectrum case. The only issue presented before the Supreme Court in this case was that can Mr. Mittal be held liable vicariously for the crimes committed under his company's label? The question was quite dire because the corruption alleged is worth 1.73 billion and some part of it is of course alleged to be done through the autonomy that the appellant's company afforded and hence public money was lost because of it and profits were made off of it as well. But a legal principle is a legal principle which is why the Supreme Court clarified and stated its position that under no circumstances can you read vicarious liability into the provision. It has to be explicitly mentioned in the words of a law 
that in these cases vicarious liability must be assumed we've looked at some of the sections before where vicarious liability is to be assumed and is directed in the body of the legislation itself other examples include section 499 where the master is vicariously liable for the publication of libel by his employee for example a newspaper will have to go to court as the criminal for something that their journalist writes in their newspaper if at all there are grounds to believe that defamation has occurred through libel other examples of this include responsibilities that businesses are given as safety standards in public interest for example food adulteration act 1954 as a whole holds the employee employer vicariously liable and is grounds to pierce the corporate veil and hold the owner or the managing director of a company personally liable for lack of safety standards in violation of food adulteration act in the case of sarju prasad versus state of uttar pradesh in 1961 vicarious liability was directly applied because it is specified within the law and these laws list actually is pretty long for example defense of india rules the indian army act along with the drugs act are all covered under this umbrella of laws where vicarious liability needs to be assumed and where necessary corporate veil must be pierced if you will that that's fancy lawyer for the fact that then the director needs to be held liable for what the company does that's piercing the corporate veil seems like a consistent logic to me that a company is a person that's a privilege granted to you so that you can sort of engage in business activities with, without putting your own personal assets on the line all the time but in cases where a crime is committed because of your use of this company we will not treat you as a company but as an organ within the company and we will personally hold you liable for something you did using the privileges we provided you as a company of course the only condition being that it must be written in the law that this vicarious liability needs to be assumed and your corporate veil does not mean anything but this is where i got curious while it sounds reasonable there must be exceptions to the way this law works and the only place i thought to find this exception was under cases for section 304a of the indian penal code which is the punishment for causing death by negligence to be fair section 304a which is the section that sort of punishes you for causing death by negligence is not meant only for companies and businesses it's not inherently meant to regulate company conduct so to speak if you want to understand corporate criminal liability in its depth and in which cases directors must be held liable there is a list of provisions and a chapter if i'm not wrong within the companies act of 2013 which states specific situations under which the director of a company is personally liable and could face criminal charges himself 
these provisions are put in place of course in the recognition of the fact that companies are huge 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 bodies of autonomy where activities can be done very swiftly and with a lot of coordination across a lot of locations which is why certain amount of tra transparency in terms of financial transactions and safety standards needs to be maintained especially financial transactions which is where most crime could occur within a company and hence the director is held liable personally for certain kinds of transparencies and due diligence that needs to be done by a company i do not have the time to entertain all of them in this episode which is why i'm leaving a link down below for you to read the provisions themselves as to what exactly can a director can and cannot do maybe at a let later date we will even do an episode about it but right now we need to talk about section 304a which is causing death by negligence it is important to understand that again section 304a is not specifically meant for companies it is meant for any individual who could cause death by negligence broadly speaking negligence means that you have breached your care of duty in the sense that you were doing an activity which needs to be done with a certain amount of care and you have ignored that duty is why harm is done to somebody else and in this case the harm amounts to death the reason i bring it in the context of corporate criminal liability is because these are cases where directors of company are sued very 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 often even though the presumption of vicarious liability is not made in this in this specific provision nothing in the provision itself says uh, that vicarious liability applies and it's a solid reasoning to be fair for example in the case of jpr and others versus state of tamil nadu in the high court of madras the high court granted an application for quashing of an fir under section 482 of the code of criminal procedure which is something that we'll discuss on a later date i promise is basically a power that a high court inherently has to sort of quash an fir and stop a proceeding before it leads to harassment through process for somebody we'll get to it we'll get to it but this fir was quashed by the high court of madras because they believed that the individual or the organization that recruited or employed an independent contractor to make construction is not vicariously liable for the acts of the contractor himself under section 304a for criminal liability essentially the contractor had brought some negligence upon the procedure of how the building needs to be constructed and some nine manual laborers died in this case when a police report was made the person who essentially hired the contractor himself was also named in the fir and their name was then removed from the first in first information report or the proceeding against them was stalled stopped after this granting of quashment of fir because of this reason but the court analyzes these cases with a lot of discretion and for very good reason for example in upahar cinema case which is a tragic incident where in 1997 59 people died because of gross negligence on the part of the owners and all management 
since this is the last exception that we're taking we can discuss this case in detail essentially within this case the incident itself starts with a fire that starts at 6:55 a.m and the fire was brought under control at 7:25 a.m however this is not the incident that caused them the problem by 11:30 a.m on the same day the cinema hall gained electricity after a transformer was repaired and after the repairs the transformer had sparkling which was known to the employees and the maintenance staff of the cinema this sparkling over time created a hole in the radiator fan and through this hole oil started leaking out and because the transformers did not have the safety mandated oil soak pits the oil sort of kept fueling the fire and also spreading it to the nearby parking lot along with that the area of the chimneys through which the gas is supposed to pass was also shut which means that the smoke created by the fire was suffocating and it was spreading through the premises of the cinema all while a screening of a movie is going on with a large number of people seated there to make things worse for upahar cinema the management staff was not present at the time of the incident to help any of them outside the theater now because of the proximity of the owners which were two brothers they were among the 12 who were sentenced under section 304a for causing deaths by negligence of 59 people the reason this verdict was passed is because the proximity of them not providing the infrastructure needed to contain su- such an incident along with violating several provisions which could lead to negligent and running a commercial establishment in such blatant disregard of the guidelines and mandates was considered a crime which means neither the insulation of a company nor separation from vicarious liability could save them in this incident from criminal liability i mean for those of you who are curious upahar cinema along with delhi vidyut board were held guilty of negligence even in the civil proceeding and damages of 25 crores in civil compensation were provided to the relatives of the victims in total however when an appeal was filed in the supreme court for these civil damages the supreme court reduced the compensation from 18 lakh to 10 lakh each and from 15 lakh to 7.5 lakh each which was distributed according to age okay everyone that's all i have for you this week on an end note i need to specify that i have given all the examples of vicarious liability in this entire episode as employer employee relationships but please try and understand that that is not the only application of vicarious liability parental vicarious liability is also a thing where a certain kind of privilege granted to a child by a parent could hold the parent vicariously liable another flavor of vicarious liability includes partnerships for example partners and partnership firms will have a similar relationship where the partners actions are binding for the entire partnership and hence vicarious liability applies to a criminal extent as well when specified 
another addition i thought i must add in the end notes of this entire episode is if you read sunil mittal versus cbi as a case mr harish sarve who is the attorney appearing before supreme court on behalf of mr mittal has created an anthology of cases which i did not have the time or the inclination to all mention within this episode but i am certain that you will find them there numbered with passages that state that vicarious liability is not read into criminal provisions and if that sort of thing interests you i heavily 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 recommend that you go check it out if you like the work that i have been doing here please 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 consider supporting us on patreon www.patreon.com/deepfriedneurons the link is down in the description as well or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com/deepfriedneurons the link is also in the description for one time donations that's the one i prefer the music for this episode was provided by triggerfish.word and purwow both of whose instagrams are given down in the description the research for this episode was assisted by siddhant singh and the content was edited and designed by me deepfried neurons now if you will excuse me it's 2 in the morning and i have acidity which means i'll probably eat something before i sleep